he's just a baby. And he deserves a chance. Yeah. Because I I knew that without God's intervention, he would die. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big, miraculous ways all the way down to small, everyday things. Hi, this is Camus. And this week I have Cassie with me. And I know Cassie from church and, well, Bible study. We do Bible study at her house yes. every week with um, Charles and Randy. So really enjoyed getting to know Cassie. I didn't really know her before Bible study. I don't know why, just yeah. because I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know that happens sometimes. Like yeah. You like know of people, but then yeah. you're like, oh, I don't, don't think I've ever actually had a conversation right. with yeah. them. Yeah, I knew who you were, but I didn't hadn't met you officially. Yeah, so... It was nice. We started Bible study, became friends. Yeah. So, that's been been good. Yeah. Dang. Welcome back from our break. Yay. So, Cassie's our first person I'm recording since we got back, so that's kind of exciting funness. Yeah. I asked her before we stopped, but then, I don't know, craziness happened. Yeah. Got busy. It did, for sure. So, Cassie, why don't you tell us all where you're from? I am actually... From everywhere. I'm a Navy brat. Okay. And so I have lived on both coasts. I was born in Idaho Falls, oh. oddly enough. My dad was there as a, some kind of a nuclear station there. Okay. And my dad was there for a year. I was born there. And then my life is a travelogue. I have lived in uh, Bremerton, Washington, on the East Coast, in uh, New Jersey, Rhode Island, Pennsylvania, and then back to the West Coast in Oregon, and most the rest of my life from like ten years old up was Southern California. Oh wow! So just yeah. a little bit of everywhere. A little bit of everywhere. That's pretty fun. Yeah, it was a fun childhood. You know, kind of traumatic at times, moving lots of times. You know, you have to give up your friends, but yeah, I always liked adventure. So on to the new thing, you know. <laughs> as long as you can look at it in a positive light, yeah, around's fun. So how about you tell us a little bit about your religious background growing up? I was raised in an Adventist family. My dad's family was, they were devout Adventists. My grandparents, Zenith, Warnock, and Arthur were Adventists. Um, and I believe they were converted to Adventism sometime in their youth after they were married. Oh, really? Um, I don't know that conversion story, but I know they were not originally Adventists. But they were very devout. Um, my dad said that his father was what he always thought of as the the true Jesus type Christian who would help others. He didn't preach a lot. He didn't preach it, but he mm-hmm. lived it. Mm-hmm. So my dad was raised Adventist. He was the youngest of eight, oh, wow. um, and he was ten years younger than his nearest siblings. So he was kind of a menopause baby, <laughs> but. He met my mom through G.I. Joe magazine, and they wrote actual letters to each other in the, uh, in the 50s, and um, they were married when my mom was 18 and my dad was um, 20. My mom turned 19 shortly thereafter, and they had a baby Aww. nine months later. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. You know. That was my sister, Cheryl. I am the middle of five siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan's my older brother, Mary's my next younger sister, and Lori is the youngest. Mm-hmm. Um, God really blessed me when he gave me 
my siblings. I loved growing up in a big family. Yeah, we squabbled. <laughs> um, s typical sibling things, you know. Mm -hmm. But it was, I knew I was loved. And I knew that Jesus loved me when I was little. Yeah. Um, I loved going to church. Um, my parents were pretty faithful in my young years, taking us to church. Um, unfortunately, there came a time when my dad stopped going to church. Mm -hmm. um, so there was an elder in the church who had my dad do some car maintenance, car, car repair for him. Yeah. And that person did not pay my dad as agreed. Oh. Yes. And so my dad was very disillusioned and quit going to church. Oh. My mom continued to take us. Yeah. Because she felt that was important. She was, she was raised in a non-Adventist, uh, basically an agnostic or atheist family. I'm not sure which it was, but I know my grandfather did not want God's name mentioned at his funeral. So. Oh. Yes. Very not Very, about that. very not religious. Um, and it was a traumatic childhood for my mom. But she met my dad, and when they were married... His mother took her under her wing and brought her into the church. Uh -huh. And so my mom became an Adventist and um, was rock solid, taking us kids to church. And even though when we were older and I was just not long before she died, she told me, she said, sometimes I have just enough faith to be miserable. And she said, I don't feel like, and this was back when, you know, Adventism at times was extremely legalistic and people mm. could be harsh in their legalism. Yeah. And so my mom was very sensitive to that. And she knew she was saved, but at the same time she struggled with her imperfection, mm. you know? Yeah. It's a hard place to be. Yeah. But, but she was a, a, an outstanding mom. I loved her to pieces. She was, I was extremely close with my mom. I went to, we, when they could afford it, they sent us to Adventist schools, which was basically from, for me, it was from sixth grade through high school. We went to Adventist schools. Oh, that's cool. Um, they weren't rich. My mom was a secretary and my dad was enlisted in the Navy. So we had church support to help us make yeah. that, that church school payment. And um, I worked. Because so, when I got to high school, you know, academy gets more expensive as you get older. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and I worked. From the time I was 14, so I've always worked. Oh, wow. But I wanted to stay in Adventist schools. So mm -hmm. I loved Jesus as a kid. Yeah. I thought, I believed wholeheartedly that Jesus loved me. I loved church. I loved all of that. As I went through high school, it became less important to me, and I'm not sure how that happened. Mm -hmm. I still believed, and I still was real active in church. Um, and then I went to an Adventist college. I graduated high school at 17. Wow. And I went to Pacific Union College for two years. And it was there that I really lost my faith. Mm. There was a pastor, Desmond Ford, who was defrocked. And he was a really popular uh, teacher there at PUC. And so, I did not understand why he was defrocked. So what does defrocked mean? He was removed from his... He was... The Adventist church took away his um, pastoral duties. They, oh. they removed his, I don't know if it's the license or whatever, but anyway. And he was not allowed to teach in Adventist institutions. He was teaching something. Basically started <laughs> teaching against Adventist doctrine. And yes, he started teaching against Adventist doctrine. For me, as a young woman, I just, well, he's so charismatic. And he was, mm. I 
didn't feel like he interfered with my relationship with Jesus. And I was questioning at that point in my life, when he was defrocked, I really was disillusioned with the church mm. at large. Yeah. And so I started living a life of, I'm going to do it my way, you know? Just It wasn't that I went wild. I didn't go, um, you know, crazy into alcoholism or drugs or anything. I just stopped going to church. Mm. And it's amazing how that is a slippery slope. Yeah. I, um, I got married young. I didn't have any kids until I was almost 26. Oh, wow. I have a daughter who is 33 now, who hasn't spoken to me since, well, it's been 15 years now. Wow, yeah, it's, it's a long time. It's been very painful. It's an estrangement that has been extremely painful. Her father and stepmom told some untrue things and... Unfortunately, my daughter, who was put in the middle, had to choose. Mm. And as heartbreaking as that is, I don't um, harbor ill will toward her because mm. I feel like she was put between a rock and a hard place mm. and um, had to make a choice as a little kid. Yeah. That's so, not anyway. Not something you should have to do. No, it's not something you should do to your child. And... Um, there's actually a name for that. It's called parental alienation syndrome, but I'll let people look that up. <laughs> um, so I haven't spoken to her in a while, but I have two sons who I'm very close with. They have been, and when I, Randy's five years younger than Aaron, and then Ryan is 14 months younger than Randy, so they're super close in age. Wow. Um, I had a baby on each hip for a while. <laughs> they have been the light of my life. No, they have not been perfect. <laughs> Children rarely are. Yes, but... So anyway, to, to back up a little, here I am on... I'm like 21. I'm doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, my mom died. My mom was killed in a freak accident. They were mm -hmm. launching her, uh, a sailboat that they were building. Yeah. They had the hull finished. And they were having a launching party. And the crane that they hired to lift the boat and put it, move it from the sandlot into San Diego Bay yeah. did not have enough operators and it didn't have the proper equipment. And so it tipped over and the boom crushed my mother. Oh my it landed God. on her and crushed her. Wow. It was a complete miracle that she was the only one killed. There were 50 people there for this launching party. One other guy was injured when the cable hit him across the back and he just got you know, a slight kidney injury, but mm -hmm. there were women and children wow. running around and it's just by God's grace that it, only my mom died. Mm -hmm. I thank God every day that I wasn't there, that yeah. I didn't see that. that would have been... My dad and my older sister, Cheryl, and my younger sister, Mary, were there mm -hmm. and they had a lot of trauma to deal with in witnessing that. So I'm super grateful to God that I wasn't there for that. For sure. Um, she died instantly. At the time, I, I just said, I wasn't really on speaking terms with God. But mm -hmm. I said, okay, God. When I was told about it, I was like, no, no way. Can't be my mom. But, okay, there is no way I'm going to understand this. And so I just said, God, I am not even going to ask you why. Because there's not a good reason. Mm. Not to my understanding. And I know I'm not going to know the answer until heaven. Yeah. So I'm not even going to go there. 
So here I was talking to God, but not in a relationship with him. Mm. Just, I just asked him to, at that point, just asked him to help me survive losing my mom. Yeah. But then back to doing my own thing, which at that time was occasionally drinking. I didn't, I never drank to excess except for like three months after my mom died. I drank heavily for three months after she died. And then I, all of a sudden the light came on. This is not making me feel better. I'm still sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still sad. So I stopped drinking. I was like, okay, that's not working. All right. <laughs> um, it was like a, a light switch came on. Mm-hmm. And I know it was the Holy Spirit saying, Cassie, Cassie, Cassie. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? This is not helping you. So I quit drinking and um, ended up marrying my daughter's dad. And um, that lasted three years. He moved out. Uh, with his girlfriend um, after three years. Oh, wow. That's... Yeah. Um, and he ended up, his girlfriend was a lawyer, and he ended up taking my daughter. Mm. Um, so I had started going to church with my daughter. Yeah. And um, we were really enjoying that. And then the divorce turned really ugly, and um, I had... A lot of struggles, but, um, you know, back to doing my own thing. You know, I had this yo-yo relationship with the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Here and there. Here and there. And then um, I remarried um, three years later, I think, two years. And then I had Randy when Aaron was five, and then I had Ryan when she was six. And um, when I met their dad, and I said, you know, I really want to marry a guy who's a Christian and who will go to church with me. And, mm-hmm. and he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was raised a Baptist. I went, when the boys were young, we did go to Rocky Creek Baptist Church with his granny. Um, anyway, I want to back up again. I'm, I know I'm kind of going back and forth, but when... The audio, for some reason, cut out at this point. But Cassie is just saying that her son, Ryan, is born and that he is premature, so he did not develop fully in the womb. Oh, he was, his lungs were not mature, and he nearly died. He, from the time he was born to the time he ended up on a ventilator was very brief. He struggled from the first minutes. He was put on a ventilator, and then my ex-father-in-law came in the room where I was at after my c-section and he said that's one really sick baby and I said get out of my room if you can't be positive (laughs) (laughs) so I found out then that they had to put him on a high frequency ventilator which was a a step up a more difficult um Um, situation mm -hmm. and then they were going to considering we were in Odessa Texas that's where he was born yeah and they were going to send him to Lubbock to put him on ECMO which is basically like a heart-lung machine. It's extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, uh, which is basically fancy for your heart and lungs doing the work in a machine, which is one step from death, basically. I prayed like I had never prayed before, that God would save my son. Mm. They tried as a last-ditch thing before sending him to Lubbock. They gave him uh, surfactant, which is something they give preterm babies to help their lungs function and boom suddenly he's getting better he still was on a ventilator but he was doing much better Mm -hmm. so prayers answered he's doing better two weeks later I had to go home without him obviously yeah Um, two weeks later they I was getting ready to go in and visit and they called me and they said 
well, we were going to let you hold him today, but... Because I hadn't held him yet. This was two weeks down, and I still haven't held him. Aww. Yeah. And I was has been so excited, because today was going to be the day I was going to get to hold him, because he'd been doing better. Well, I said, well, now he's got a GI bleed. He's mm-hmm. got blood coming out both ends. We've got to find out where that's coming from and try to fix it. So I hurried down to the hospital, and I got there, and sure enough, yeah, he was bleeding from both ends, and... I, they were going to kick me out, and I begged and pleaded. I said, I, I'll stand here and change diapers. Whatever you want me to do, don't make me leave. So they let me stay. They said, as long as you can keep your act together and not fall apart, you mm-hmm. can stay. Aww. So I stayed. My husband was working. A few hours later, he was just getting worse, and they were transfusing him. And um, he was losing so much blood that he looked, like, translucent. Um, like his skin looked like marble <laughs> because he was so anemic. I mean, I called my husband and I said, you better get over here. This is really get going bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, I held it together. I didn't cry. My, my ex-mother-in-law found that to be uncaring that I didn't cry, but I knew that if I cried, I wouldn't stop. Yeah. So I said, I have to keep it together for him. So when things are okay, then I'll cry. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, my husband came over and he immediately, one look at my son and he put his hand on his head and started to pray. And this is the guy that didn't want to go to church, didn't really want to have anything to do with God, but Mm -hmm. he put his hand on Ryan's head and started to pray. Um, We prayed for Ryan. Um, They finally transferred him to Cook Fort Worth Children's Hospital in Fort Worth um, by Teddy Bear Air amazing people. I got to fly with him. The family came later in a car. It's a six-hour drive. We arrived in Fort Worth. They wouldn't let me into the NICU there. That was not allowed. Yeah. He was too critical. They were saying, well, no, we're going to be really busy. You can't come in. And surgeon came out and said, well, we don't know if he's going to need to have his whole stomach removed. We don't know if he's going to only need part of it removed. We don't know if he's just got a little tear that we can sew up. Mm -hmm. There's so much blood in there we can't see. Oh, because they did a scope to yeah. see. And um, so we've got to take him to surgery. Um, he's lost so much blood now, we've already replaced his total blood volume three times. So we don't know how this is going to go. Mm-hmm. So they take him to surgery, and up to this point I had not cried. But there was a chapel right adjacent to the waiting area where they had given me the... Um, where they had given me the... Uh, the lowdown on what was going to happen. And yeah. I went into that little chapel and closed the door... And I, I let her rip. I cried my eyes out, and I said, Lord, I know you can do this. I know you're there, and I know you can do this. Mm-hmm. I don't deserve it. But there's always tears in this story. Um, he's just a baby. And he deserves a chance. Yeah. Because I, I knew that without God's intervention, he would die. I was in there, it felt like just 15 minutes. It must have been longer because I wasn't, I came out and some of my husband's cousins had arrived at the hospital. Um, They had been called and told that I was there. And there were people that I knew fairly well. um, And they were there for support and they were very kind. And um, of course I was still a tearful mess, but. um, Yeah, understandably um, so. Yeah. And shortly after that, the surgeon came out and he said, well, we found a little tear. Apparently, the nasogastric tube that he'd had in, a, in there for quite a while had poked a hole 
through his stomach right at a blood vessel. And so they sewed up the hole. And um, he said, well, we don't know. We still don't know how well his heart and his brain have tolerated the insult of the loss of blood. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do some ultrasounds. We're going to do some tests to see how well he's handled it. Yeah. So, and also all this time that he was in the NICU, he was on all these high antibiotics like genomycin and vancomycin. And so it was like one thing after another. I go, they let me into the NICU the next morning Mm -hmm. and they said, okay, you can come see him. But warning, he has developed um, bilateral um, hernias. Oh. He had inguinal hernias, so his little testicles were huge. <laughs> and they said, we're going to have to do surgery to fix that. So there was another thing. Okay, so he has to have another surgery as soon as he's stable. Okay, I can deal with that. No problem. I got this. He's still alive. His color's better. And then they said, well, we did the ultrasound. His brain looks fine. That's good. Yeah, his brain looks fine. Everything looks fine so far. And then the next day I come in, and he's got this huge black area on his wrist where he had an extravasation, which means the IV with his antibiotics had gotten loose into the tissue and had caused a chemical burn. Oh. His, the whole back of his, I believe it was his left wrist, was black as the ace of spades. Mm. It was just hideous. And I was horrified. It seemed like one thing after another. <laughs> this poor baby. I know, this poor baby. And, you know, and of course now he's got scars. And, you know, he's got a tube hanging out from his stomach. And here's this little guy. And he was the biggest kid in the NICU he, at 37 weeks. He was seven and a half pounds. And all the other little NICU babies, you know, little tiny two-pound babies. And here's Ryan, this bruiser, who's the sickest guy in the room. <laughs> oh, he was so funny. Um, anyway, he got better. And at the end of the week, he had his hernia surgery. And that went well. And then he finally got to go home. Mm-hmm. And I used to tell Ryan, as he was growing up, that God had something special for him because that he saved him. When we went back a month after his uh, discharge from the hospital, we went back to see the gastroenterologist because he was going to remove the gastrostomy tube, mm-hmm. which we say give, gave him his second belly button because he's got a divot. Oh. <laughs> so he, he, has, he has a second belly button. Um, uh, he, um, we took him back and he was so pink and fat and um, the nurse that was there had been in the NICU the day that Brian arrived mm-hmm. and so she said this is that baby she this said that baby. this is th- we none of us thought he would make it mm-hmm. not one of us and I said and look at him now <laughs> so I, you know I told her I said this was an answer to prayer mm-hmm. this was a totally a God miracle and Ryan you know, you would think with that insult of losing all that blood that his brain would have been damaged in some way or another. Yeah. He is crazy smart. Uh, in seventh grade, he aced his uh, tax test, which is a Texas assessment of knowledge and skills. He okay. aced it. That's a test they have to take after each grade. And so the Duke University Talent Identification Program, they call it uh, TIPS, invited him to take his SAT at the age of 12. Wow. Just to see how he would do. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, do you want to do it? He said, sure. It was on a Sabbath. So we got a special caveat for me, us, and a little Jewish boy to do it on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so he took his SAT 
at the age of 12 and scored in the 50th percentile for high school seniors. Wow. So God not only saved his life, he totally preserved him completely, not just undamaged, but excelling in intelligence. Mm-hmm. So when God answers prayers, he, he, he goes big. Yeah, he does. Um, he really does. And he always answers your prayers. It's just not always yes. Yeah, not always the way you think they should yeah. be answered. But when you get a yes, it's usually a huge yes. Mm-hmm. Um, he Ryan, um, unfortunately, is not a practicing Christian right now. Um, I, ho- I have hopes for him that he. I know he knows the Lord is still there because he periodically will ask me to pray for him. Mm. Um, but uh, super smart, crazy smart. Um, you know, and the boys. Uh, we moved to Midland from Brownwood. Like I said, my life's a travelogue. Moving, moving, moving. <laughs> and um, if I never see another moving box, it'll be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> we moved to Midland, Texas uh, with their dad. He got a job as a police officer in Odessa, but we liked Midland better, so we lived in Midland. That was like 20 miles away. Okay. And um, um, I started nursing school on the uh, encouragement of my brother, who is a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in the Marines for a while, and then he got out and went to nursing school. Um, he was in the reserves as a nurse, and he had several deployments. So he served as a critical care nurse. That's cool. And he called me one day when I was approaching 40 and said, Cass, you really need to be a nurse. And I was like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm getting old. I haven't been in school in forever. And he goes, yeah. oh, you can do it. And so I prayed about it, and... Um, God put this burning, not only did he answer my prayer, he put this burning desire in my heart to be a nurse. And so I went back to college. I was terrified of algebra, but I sat front and center in the class. I figured I'm smart enough. You know, I think I can do this if I apply myself. So I did. I got through all my prereqs. I got into my first semester of nursing school after we got to Midland and out of the blue, my boy's dad left me for someone else. Mm-hmm. Round two. <laughs> um, we'd been married 13 years, so I was, I had thought, oh, we're over the hump, man. We made it, you know, yeah. we're 13 years, we're doing good. You know, I have this beautiful family, the boys and I go to church, my husband tolerates it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I thought, you know, I thought, we, we got it. It's not easy all the time. You know, marriage never is. But I yeah. thought, you know, this is we have a good little family. This is going to be great. No. Um, so in April of 2004, we closed on a house. We bought, mm-hmm. my husband and I. And then in May, he announced that he was leaving. Oh. At the time, I had just finished my first semester of nursing school. And I was only working PRN doing like 12 hours a week of medical transcription at the hospital, kind of fill-in type stuff. Yeah. So here I am with this new house payment, two kids to feed, child, you know, child care to pay for, utilities. I want to go, I want to continue nursing school. Mm-hmm. I was devastated. I went in my bedroom, closed the door, threw myself on my knees, and wailed out my agony <laughs> to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And I said... You gave me this desire to be a nurse. I can't do it. I can't, I can't even feed myself, let alone go to nursing school. I said, you're going to have to do this. I talk to God like I talk to a friend. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I do, you know, 
pray in a conventional manner, but a lot of times, like even if I'm in the car, I talk to him like a friend. And I claimed uh, Malachi 3.10 at that time, because I had started tithing faithfully when I was going to the Midland Adventist Church, yeah. which I started doing that in 2001. Um, my ex didn't like it very much. He felt that was giving away money we needed. <laughs> um, but I felt that it was important, and God promises blessings for tithing. So when Rob left, I told God I was going to continue my tithing no matter what. And I was going to claim um, Malachi 3.10, which I happen to have here somewhere. I knew I wasn't going to be able to pay my house payment. I knew yeah. I wasn't going to be able to just do basic stuff. So I said, Lord, I'm going to continue returning my tithe and taking the boys to church and being faithful and trust that you're going to do like Malachi 3.10 says, which is bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this. This is where he dares you. Mm -hmm. He basically dares you. Try me now in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I had no idea how big he was going to answer that that prayer. The next day, I went to work doing my transcription transcription job. Obviously, I was kind of a basket case, <laughs> and my boss noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, you can cry and transcribe at the same time. <laughs> you have experience. I have experience. I can also transcribe and write a grocery list at the same time. That's a trick. <laughs> But she came to me and she, and she said, I told her what happened, and she said, you know, I'm really so sorry. You're, you're my best transcriptionist when you're here. You're always working. You're not, you know, standing around by the water cooler yakking it up all the time. Mm-hmm. She said, you're super productive. So I'll see what I can do. So the next day I worked, she came back and she said, I got permission to pay you by the line instead of by the hour. At the time they were paying me twelve fifty an hour, mm-hmm. which was the going rate for transcriptionist at that time was pretty good pay that effectively tripled my pay wow paying me by the line Mm -hmm. which of course motivated me then to be even faster yeah (laughs) because I was paid by the line so um that was a huge help um and then she also told me about a hand surgeon in the area that needed a new transcriptionist for his office notes and that it would be like a contract job Mm-hmm. He'd pay me $500 a month, whether he was on vacation or I was on vacation, no matter what, it was going to be $500 a month. Wow. It took me less than eight hours a week to do <laughs> his work. Yeah. So I did it at home. I had the equipment at home, and I, so that was an extra $500 a month. And somehow, God in his goodness impressed my ex-husband who left me to give me his entire paycheck for about six months after he left. Wow. That is a really the Holy Spirit moving in somebody's life. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, he was living with his girlfriend, so that helped. But he um, he lived off of his overtime jobs where he would, like, since he was a cop, he would go do security at bars and stuff, and they would pay him. Mm-hmm. But he, he did. I have to give him credit that he, for six months, gave me his entire paycheck so that I could make ends meet. Wow. So between the Lord providing improvements in my income he also provided that and then then the question was how do I get back into nursing school 
and my boss, Deb Svoboda, I always tumble over the name, but she told me about the Medlin Memorial Hospital had a Pink Lady Scholarship. That was their volunteers. Mm -hmm. They had a Pink Lady Scholarship. And that I would probably qualify now that I was a single mom. And so I applied and I got it. That scholarship paid for not just tuition, but all my books, paper, pens, lab supplies, any fees that came up. And they even paid for my NCLEX exam at the end. Wow. Which was a $200 fee. Mm-hmm. So I, after, I, after he left, I paid for none of my education. Um, I got my NCLEX. I passed it on the first try. And the only caveat with the scholarship was that I had to work for Midland Memorial Hospital for two years. I said, piece of cake. I can do that. I worked for 14 months in their progressive care unit, taking care of mainly heart patients. Hmm. And then I moved to the emergency room, which has been my love and my calling since then. Uh, got my nursing degree in December of 2005. So been a nurse now. What's that? 16 years? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and the Lord has blessed me through my patients many times. Hmm. I've been, I've, you know, I've, every morning I would pray, Lord, don't let me, A, don't let me get jaded because the emergency room will make you jaded. Oh, yeah. Um, and B, let me be a blessing to someone today. Hmm. Because um, I wanted to go home feeling like I had done something good for someone else. Yeah. Which is the main, what was my main motivation for becoming a nurse. Because after being behind a computer screen or at a desk for 20 years, I was ready for something a little more meaningful. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, so I went to nursing school, got a job as a nurse. And, you know, I continued to pray. And I wanted to, since I was divorced, I wanted to move to the Northwest because my sister, Lori... Lived up in the, in the Spokane area. Well, yeah. Actually, she was in Canada, but I was going to move to Spokane so I could be close to her. Yeah. And um, ended up moving to Lewiston for various reasons. Worked at St. Joe's for the last 12 years. And um, like I said, been blessed by my coworkers, my patients. Um, and hopefully I was a blessing to them as well. Hopefully. Um, I think the, the most important thing that I've learned through the years about, about God and his relationship with his children. So we, when we uh, turn our back on him, he doesn't turn his back on us. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And even during those years that I was doing my own thing and sometimes, well, very frequently not doing what I knew the Lord would want me to do, mm. he didn't forget me. And he wanted, he wanted me back like he wants everybody else back. Yeah. He woos us. And, you know, I don't think of his um, answers to prayers to me as, you know, bribes. <laughs> you know, come on back, see what I can do for you. You know, he's not like the genie God that, you know, you mm -hmm. ask him and he's just going to give you whatever. Because he knows what's good for us and sometimes the best answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the sometimes the answer is wait. Mm -hmm. I've had that answer many times. <laughs> Don't like it much, but <laughs> just wait. <laughs> just wait. Trust me. Trust me. Mm. And I also became sick. So my life has had a lot of tragedy, a lot of difficulty, mm -hmm. um, some illness. But I want to impress on people that if you hang on to God, 
If somebody lets go, it's not going to be God. God never lets go. No, he doesn't. I got sick in uh, 2016. I had my first case of pancreatitis. I was diagnosed at 40 or 44 or something like that with osteoporosis. They told me I had the bones of an 80-year-old. Oh. <laughs> Partly related to my lifestyle, I must confess. <laughs> I drank a six-pack of Diet Coke a day, mm. which is really bad for your bones. Yeah. But I also discovered that I was taking Nexium for reflux, and that also is really bad for your bones. All the proton pump inhibitors are bad for your bones. Oh. Not a lot of people know that. So um, I changed my diet, got rid of all the Diet Coke, all the phosphoric acid um, <clears throat> to help my bones. And then mm-hmm. I broke my wrist, and then I broke my pelvis. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the fractures are not fun. No. Um, and in 2016, I got pancreatitis. Mm. Um, totally unrelated to alcoholism. It usually, I would say, 70 to 80% of cases of pancreatitis are related to alcoholism. Mine Mm -hmm. was related to an obstructed duct. I had a blockage. Not sure why. Um, I had multiple uh, procedures, stent placements, and all kinds of ERCPs and stuff. Mm -hmm. Multiple hospitalizations. The pain from pancreatitis, I got to tell you, is pretty impressive. <laughs> it's it's hard, and mm. but you know, when I was hurting, I would just close my eyes and ask the Lord to walk through the valley with me, mm. and um, He always did. Didn't mean the pain always went away. No, at least not right away. But I could feel His presence. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, Then, um, in 2017, as if pancreatitis wasn't enough, I went to, in April, to see my grandson in Texas, which is something I do pretty regularly. I drive down there because I like to drive, and it's two days of solitude. Um, I frequently just talk to the Lord or listen to audiobooks or, you know, stuff like that on my way down there. I went and visited my grandson for his birthday, had a fabulous time but I was really really tired unusually tired and on the trip back normally I do that two-day trip zoom zoom two days I can bang that out no problem on the way back I had to stop to sleep every four hours I was so tired Mm. and I called my husband I said I don't know why I'm so tired something's wrong but I'm tired Mm -hmm. and at the same time he told me oh mom's moving in his mother moved in with us Uh, there was a lot of drama but we all survived it um After I got back from that trip, I went to work one day. I worked a 12-hour shift. I got through it, and I got home, and I told my husband that I was really sick and in a lot of pain. We went back to the ER thinking it was pancreatitis, and it turned out I was in raging hepatitis, life-threatening hepatitis. Uh Uh-oh. And they're like, well, we think maybe you have an obstruction again somewhere that's now inflaming your liver. So I was life-flighted to... Virginia Mason in um, Seattle. Wow. Yeah. I spent a week there in the Virginia Mason. I don't think I've ever been so nauseated in my whole life. <laughs> and since I've, I have had a surgery called a Nissen fund application, I cannot vomit. Um. So you can be nauseated all day long, but you can't throw up. Oh, no. Yeah, it's pretty miserable. But the people at Virginia Mason were wonderful. Um, they did a ton of tests. Couldn't figure out what was wrong. Um, they ended up sending me home mm-hmm. and that they did a liver biopsy and then sent me home and then they called me and they said, well, it says you have autoimmune hepatitis. That's what the liver biopsy came up with. Mm-hmm. 
And they said, let's review your medications again. And I had forgotten that I was taking black cohosh, a supplement, a herbal supplement for hot flashes. Oh. Because I was, let's see, 2017, I was 55. I was having hot flashes. And took, I had been taking black cohosh for about four months. And when the doctor called me and she said, let's review. And I went over, I was only taking a couple of things at the time. And yeah. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot I was taking black cohosh. And she goes, that's it. Turns out there are many, many journal articles and stories of women in their 50s taking black cohosh and then having fulminant liver failure requiring transplantation or ending in death oh, from, wow. black, from black cohosh. Wow. So my public service announcement is <laughs> don't take black cohosh. <laughs> it will destroy, it will destroy your, your liver. Um, so after, I think, six months of high-dose steroids, which make you crazy, <laughs> um, I did get better. Not completely better, but better. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to go to, I, someone came to the church in Lewiston and talked about Eden Valley, the lifestyle center that okay. was run by the church in Colorado. And I thought, oh, I want to go there. I want to go so bad. It was like $5,000 for a two-week two -week stay mm -hmm. um, at first my husband did not want to send me, mm -hmm. but friends convinced him that it would be a good idea. God bless Jack and Candy Butler, <laughs> the most awesome people on the planet. Um, I got to go to Eden Valley, and I spent two weeks there. Um, it was an amazing experience, spiritually, physically. The staff pray with you before every procedure. Aww. They give you hours and hours and hours of education about diet and exercise and the why of how what you eat. Mm -hmm. um, I had saunas every day followed by a cold shower. Oh my goodness, I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> I had hyperbaric oxygen treatments. We had exercise class. We hiked. And I, prior to going there, and I wrote this down in my journal before I went because I wanted to be able to quantify my improvement after being there. Yeah. And I was nauseated every day. I had pain every day. I couldn't walk more than 15 minutes without being completely pooped out. And mm. by the time I left there, I had had a few pain-free days. I had much less nausea. I felt 100% better. I was walking five miles a day. Wow. My skin was better. Everything was better. Uh, we subsequently, Bert had a anesthesia meeting in that he wanted to go to in Hawaii. We went to Hawaii 10 days after I got out. I had a fantastic time. I was able to snorkel and do all these amazing things that That's so cool. I never could have done without that. Oh, and I left out that I, before I went to Eden Valley, a few months before I went to Eden Valley, I was anointed at the church Aww. in Lewiston for, for healing for my uh, liver. And the pastor, Pastor Crockett, um, I love him, he said before the anointing, you know, God will heal you. He said, it might be today, it might be next week, next month, or when Jesus comes. Mm. He said, but you can count on him to heal you. Yeah. And um, he didn't completely physically heal me. My liver's better. I'm in remission from the autoimmune hepatitis. Mm -hmm. My liver's better. The pancreatitis continues, unfortunately, but the spiritual healing that I got from the anointing and from the time at Eden Valley and a little sisterly love kicking the pants. 
<laughs> where they educated me on not being negative, mm-hmm. you know, to, that negativity doesn't help you when you're sick. And at, while I was first angry, I later appreciated their sisterly love and wisdom mm-hmm. um, in calling me out on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we need that. Yeah, like I said, like I said earlier, I have the most awesome siblings. Um, they're they're fantastic. You know, I might might have lost my mom, but I still have fantastic sisters mm-hmm. and a brother. So that's good. Yeah. So especially lately, I've been under attack by the fiery darts of the devil, mm. and all I can say to people, because I know there are people that feel that they are really oppressed, under attack, that life is so difficult to the point of not being worth it. Mm. Um, I've been there. I have family who've been there. I just want to say, trust Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus. He loves you more than you can ever know. Um... Excuse me a second for tears here. If, you know, in my advanced age, I'm going to be 60 in January. <laughs> I, I think that's the most important thing I've learned in my entire life is to just trust him. Mm. Trust him with everything. You got money worries, tell him about it. Ask for his help. If you have relationship problems, um, if, you're, if you're sick, it doesn't matter what you're problem is I like what Corey Ten Boom said there is no I think it's I think it's she said there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still mm. and it is so true he'll be there no matter what he'll be there to hold your hand while you're crying he may not he may not give you the desires of your heart people like to quote that that verse in the Bible where it says, you know, yeah. ask and you'll, I'll give you the desires of your heart. But God knows what our true desires are. Yeah. Not those selfish, surface, worldly desires. Mm-hmm. He knows what your heart really needs. And that's what he gives you. Yeah. Sometimes I pray, Lord, don't give me the desires of my heart because those are things that I'll turn into idols. Because, like, yes. Sometimes we want things, but they're not really what's best for us. Right. And that's why, like, our prayers kind of go, what we think, unanswered. But, like, they're answered just in different ways. Because, like you're saying, like, he's going to go through, like, that valley of the shadow of death with us. Yes. And he's going to hold our hands right through it, even when life seems to be falling off the rails. And he's right there holding our hands. He's right there with us. But... It's so often when we walk out of those valleys that we're like, Lord, I'm done with you. Yeah. Don't need you anymore. Thanks. Thanks. We, <laughs> Thanks. we got through the rough patch. I'm done now. I'm safe. Yeah. The, the, the trick is to make that transition into that period of joy and, and bring Jesus with you. And, and like when the joyful moments, moments happen, thank you, Jesus, because all those joyful moments came because of him. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you one more little story. After my mom died... I was just completely broken. Mm-hmm. I cried all day, every day for the first few weeks. I cried every night for months. One day, I was laying on my bed just crying. I could not stop. And I wasn't, 
I wasn't active in church. I wasn't living a Christian life. Mm-hmm. But in my grief and my tears, I asked the Lord, I said, please let me know you're there. And I literally felt his presence sit down on the bed with me. And I knew he was there. So when you're in that deep, dark hole, when you feel like there's no way out. He's there. He's there. And he's always been there. He's always been there. And that's that's the, the miracle, is that as as much as we ignore him, we may trash him verbally, mm-hmm. um, deny him. The minute you turn to him, his hand is out. Yeah. His hand is out and says, come to me. He's like that, that shepherd in like the 23rd Psalms, like... He's taking care of his sheep. He's taking yeah. care of us. He's there with us when we get lost or we go astray or we're like, no, nah, I don't want to go with the flock anymore. I want to do my own thing. I was that one little lost lamb <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> He's there pursuing us and following yeah. us, trying to catch us before we fall, before yeah. we get ourselves hurt. But then when we do get ourselves stuck in that thicket or yeah. stuck on that edge of the cliff, He's right there, yep. willing to pull us out, just waiting for us to stop struggling long enough and he can get a hold of yeah, us. Yeah, stop struggling. <laughs> easier said than done. Easier said than done. So much easier said than done. You know, the Bible talks about the rest in Jesus. Mm-hmm. In Hebrews, talks about entering that rest. And it sounds so easy. Yeah. Rest in Jesus. But we struggle. We think that we need to do it. And, and I was that was me. Mm-hmm. I was the, I am so independent. I don't need anybody. I can do this myself. I was extremely proud of myself. <laughs> and that bit me in the butt so many times, to, bit, to put it kind of crudely. Um, I finally, when I got sick, learned to ask others for help. Mm-hmm. It took me that long to figure out that I need others. Yeah. I need not just Jesus, but I need others. And everybody needs people. Yeah. Everybody needs support. It's it's just something that is is part of human nature. Mhm. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something like that God put into us like this desire to help others. Like uh-huh. someone needs to be helped in order for us to fulfill that. <laughs> right, so. right? <laughs> in order to you be a helper, there needs some needs to be a person who needs to be helped. And is allowing you to help. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so that was that was a big growing thing for me. Learning how to not just trust Jesus, but to humble myself and ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so hard because, like, our society, especially in America, it's very independent. But then, like, what God wants us to learn is to, like, surrender to Him, to, like, yes. stop struggling and say, okay, Lord, like, here's my problems, here's my fears, like, you know, you're going through this hard thing, your baby looks like he's going to die, like saying, God, there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And it's often in those moments of our helplessness that we finally turn to him, you know, we're in that valley of the shadow of death, and we're like, Lord, I have no way out. Yeah. That's where he finds us. That's That's where where he finds us. And that's where, especially having been raised in the church, 
there was never a doubt in my mind about God's existence. Mm-hmm. I was just being willfully sinful. That's the only way I can describe it. I was just being willful, doing my own thing. And thank God for his grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. Because, like Paul, I am the chief of sinners. <laughs> oh, well. and, and, you know, I'm so grateful for his mercy. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful that it's not just available to me, but it's available to everybody. Amen. Well, thank you, Cassie, for sharing. <laughs> I really appreciated it. I think that's... Thank you for letting me tell my story. I've been wanting to. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured, you know, every life has um, some value and story to tell. For sure. And I felt like I had a few stories that people might find encouragement in. So. Mm-hmm. And thank you. I really like that, like... Remembering that, like, God answers our prayers, and he shows up when we're struggling and we're in those dark places. He and does. He's right there. He's always pursuing us. He's like that shepherd. He's looking after us, trying to take yep. care of us, but we're the ones running away. We're kind of the <laughs> issue. But yes, he's right there, even in those darkest moments. And I thank you for sharing that, because I think that's something we all need to remember. Yeah. And when he... Definitely. Our personal always feel like they're answered. Sometimes it prayers like we're hitting the wall. Yeah. But he is. And when he answers those yeses, they're big. And he shows up and he yeah. says, yes, I am God. Yes. And thank you for this trust. Yeah. And let me show you how great I am. So thank you. You're welcome. For sharing that. Welcome. I really appreciate it. And I hope everybody else enjoyed it. And so we're, we're supposed to pray in the beginning, but I forgot. So let's pray at the end. That All right. This is a blessing. Yeah. So, dear Father in heaven, thank you for Cassie and for her sharing her story about how you just showed up in her life during those dark moments and during those struggles and trials. And we pray that this touches someone's heart and that you speak to them through these stories and through answered prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. And everybody, tune in next week. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page, that is God is Real, God is Good Podcast, or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good Podcast at gmail.com. Bye!